have a crack. He is, you know. Oh, and they! Brilliant! The run from Giggs! Sensational goal from Ryan Giggs! Still John Barnes, Collymore closing in! Welcome to the 90s Football Hall of Fame show, a podcast brought to you by thefootballfaithful.com. I'm Steve McGovern, and I'll be the skipper for this episode. Joining me is first-team regular Peter Henry. How are you, Peter? Evening, lads. And he's taking a break from holding his fourth-place trophy aloft. It's David Snade. <laughs> What's the story? It's heavy. Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say so. It's fourth place. Oh, third place. Oh, no, I've ruined the joke straight oh, out, my out the gate. God. You oh, made a show of yourself there. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, David, we paid tribute to, to Jack Charlton on this show a few weeks back, and uh, it reminded me actually of the interview you did with uh, Ron Atkinson. And you was oh, talking yeah. about, the, about him going on holidays with him after yeah. uh, USA 94. And I was just trying to imagine big Ron and big Jack in big old Texas. And honestly, it just oh, sounds no. made up. Like it, it actually sounds like it should be a screenplay. I know, I was actually, you know what, I was, I was even thinking that when, when he was chatting, because when, when I rang him, I kind of rang him out of the blue, because I spoke to Ron Atkinson a couple of times, and he was very helpful, but it was when he was actually selling something, you know, like a book and stuff coming out, or a tour, or a speaking tour, and on this one, when I told him what, who I was, I could tell he just wanted to try and get me off the phone as quickly as possible, and then as soon as I mentioned what I was like, chatting about in terms of it was to do with Aston Villa, but then, like, and the Irish players and stuff, but then when he started talking with Jack Charlton, like, if I wasn't under time pressure myself, I probably could have kept him on the phone and got about another hour's worth of anecdotes out of him. And I was just, I wasn't able to. But yeah, I'd say that line came to me. Everything's, big, everything's bigger than Texas. Big Ron and Big Jack, two lads. And I didn't realise as well, even on that, how just how much Ron Atkinson was around covering the that Ireland team as well. He would have done a lot of commentating and stuff. So he was over at Lansdowne a lot, wasn't he? Yeah, he did a lot yeah. of games. Yeah, there was. I think I can't now remember if I used the P, the anecdote in the piece, but. Yeah, there's one where, like, I think it was after one of the times when he qualified, and I think Ray Hilton was going back in Townsend, and even McGrath was in the airport, and the only reason he got there is because Ron Atkinson had basically corralled him from, uh, had corralled him outside Lansdowne into the taxi or, or into the bus he was he was getting with a few other people back to the airport. I think it was the only way he managed to get them back before he was celebrating too much. So, uh, yeah, no, it was just, I suppose, interesting times, and yeah, just another part, another bit of Jack, Big Jack's legacy. Yeah, well, if, if people are interested in reading that piece, they can uh, check it out on thefootballfaithful.com. Now, every week we induct a new member into the 90s Football Hall of Fame. And this week's inductee is uh, Brian McClare, the Scottish striker who togged out for Manchester United for over a decade. Uh, David, McClare's heyday was so long ago that many of our listeners have either forgotten what kind of player he was or they never got to see him play. So uh, maybe refresh our memories for us. Well, to be honest, he was in his in his prime was probably before before I was just out of nappies, to be honest. But he's one of them where when you grow up and you kind of learn about Celtic and you learn about Man United, McLaren is one of the players that that you're told about. You know, my memories of him growing up are of just seemingly like a middle aged man in a pair of shorts tucked in with his jersey and just real. I know it sounds pretty bad, but he was just one of those kind of almost just like reliables at Man United in terms of he was a squad player, one of Fergie's men, and just one of those people you need in a squad, good old pro. But then when you hear more about him, when you kind of look at the videos, he was an out and out, out and out gold scorer as well. That, that's what he began with. That's how he that's how he made his name. And he was just lethal in the box, good link up play, smart, 
had a bit of belt in terms of if he need to, if he needed to to kick someone as uh, Nigel Winterbourne found out in that famous brawl at Old Trafford. I'd say he kind of like wouldn't say he's not quite on the same level of a, of a Mark Hughes, but in terms of scoring and also important stuff and also just being a top pro, like it's a great great story. Like Ferguson, when as McClure got older in his career, Ferguson would bring say young lads into his office and he would say point to them and say like that's someone who is part of a team. You know, he always puts the team first, and that's what's important. And I think, I think that would be a pretty kind of well, from my understanding, in that way of kind of just describing kind of Brian McLaren and his impact maybe around Old Trafford, even if maybe at times, as as Ryan Giggs used to say, he could be hard work because some of his jokes were just so razor sharp and a bit and very very dry, typical kind of maybe Scott that he uh, he used to kind of cut lads in half without them even realizing. I mean, uh, I, he was a player who I thought was before my time as well, but. Actually, he played so long that, that that wasn't really the case. But I, you see, my memories of him come from voraciously rewatching the kind of Premier League VHS tapes. So the image I have of him in my mind is of a player who's like a very unfussy, unspectacular, but uh, yeah. ultimately, Peter, quite effective at the same time. Yeah, I think we're all probably a, a bit guilty here of rem- of remembering the latter day Brian McClare, which he was very much kind of a reliable, he, he switched from being a striker, you know, back into a central midfielder, which is a testament to to his ability. A, a lot of strikers wouldn't be able to do that. After after United signed Cantona um, in 92-93, McClare dropped back into midfield and kind of brought an end to, to Brian Robson's starting spot in the, in the first 11. But like, when you look back at the video, videos of him, you kind of get a different picture than the one a lot of us have in our minds about that latter day kind of useful um, squad player that he became in his later years with United. Because like at Celtic, he was just absolutely prolific. Like he scored 99 goals in 145 Scottish League games. And then when he joined United, like, you know, if you look back, the, the, the finishes, like he scored every type of goal, headers, mm. left foot, right foot, absolutely lethal. You know, that kind of uncoachable ability to be in the in the right place at the right time as well. And like when he joined United first, scored 24 goals in, in 87, 88. He was the first man since since George Best 20 years previously to do that, to score over 20 league goals. So um, I, I don't really remember him as such as an out and out striker, but like in researching for this pod that's probably paying him a disservice because his in his early years his his goal scoring record is is absolutely superb you know yeah absolutely and and not just his his scoring record but also he was a very good creator as well and we might get onto that a bit later but first of all david i want to get to you know the the time when he joined united because i think in that kind of late 80s early 90s period united were obviously you know spending a lot of money and uh, brian mcclare was one of the players they bought and um, i mean he had scored 126 goals over four years for celtic so it's easy to see why alex ferguson was interested in him and then he he comes to united in 87 and just absolutely knocks the lights out 31 goals in his first season in all competitions i mean it, it seemed like they had a real star in their hands well it was it looked as if maybe that was going to be it. and then obviously mark hughes come back to united and then he has to kind of Again, that team player role essentially, where he wasn't the main man. He had that one of my that first debut season that was absolutely amazing. But kind of strikes me as like look at it, he he was at Villa as a kid, didn't even get didn't get a game. Went went to Motherwell, did okay at Motherwell, and then he gets his chance at Celtic. And then he just he seems to be one of them where he, every time he gets his chance, had a chance or had a level to go that he would reach it. 
and then even in that United, he, he was involved with it's Scotland, obviously, under, under say Jock Stain and Ferguson would have been there. That's when Ferguson would have seen up close the type of per, the type of person he was, the personality he was. Like he ended up being United's PFA PFA rep um, when he was uh, at Old Trafford. And you think about some of the lads who would have been there at the same time with some of the experienced heads. That's kind of testament to kind of his character within the dressing room. But yeah, like coming to United, it's it's, it's a funny one because like a lot of the time you hear lads getting tapped up and these kind of dodgy meetings in kind of service stations and, and kind of whatever. But then when he was going to United, Alex Ferguson just rocked up to the Scotland team hotel. Uh, I think I can't remember who the manager was at Scotland at the time. Roxburgh, I think was Andy. Andy uh, was the manager of Scotland, and uh, what wasn't happy. But yeah, like that's what that's what that's what Ferguson did. Ferguson just turned up to the team hotel, pretty much wanted his man, and he like, ends up going to tribunals. I think it was maybe just just shy of a million quid, about eight hundred grand that they uh, that they took him for, and he was going down there with a bit of pressure, obviously, because like, think about it, like Ferguson was in the door as well, and see Liverpool were were the dominant force, and he hit the ground running, but. It kind of te- I think it's testament to the bloke as well. Uh, never kind of never seemed to kind of throw the toys out of the pram when maybe like you you think about it, you that debut season you're thinking right on the man here this is me but then obviously Mark Hughes comes back and he has to kind of play second fiddle and a little bit or maybe his role changes a little bit but again that team ethic and that kind of desire to be part of the team is what kind of way a lot of and way a lot a lot of United fans. Obviously, there's moments, there's good moments there, and memories that they'll have. Like obviously, being part of that team, well, won the Cup Winners' Cup in '91. But that's, I think, that's what people will stand out. Obviously, just goals, but it's just that, that kind of maybe I wouldn't say kind of happy to be there because it wouldn't, wouldn't be that. He obviously brought much of the much so much to the squad, but just that, just desire to actually make a difference within that squad. Didn't necessarily have to have the ego about him. Just kind of was a proper team player. Yeah, well, one thing I think, David, that's really important to remember with players like him that that stick around at clubs like United through really successful periods where maybe you'll remember bigger stars at the time is I watched an interview with him last night. In his 11 years with Man United, he missed eight weeks through injury. So well, yeah, yeah, reliable, reliability. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, and obviously he was a decent pro, but like if you're available every single week, like you know, you, you know, you can be, yeah, like you said, relied upon, and that's why Fergie turned to him so often. And that's it, because I remember even even reading some of the stuff about him, like he'd be one of the he'd be one of those players in that squad, in that United squad. They had this thing where they they go for their their Monday meetings after training on Monday. The United the United players where they would have a couple of points. Because they obviously they have Tuesday off, and a lot of the time he even McLaren makes the point when he when he when he was talking about it, just saying it wasn't just like lads going on the piss just for the sake of it, or oh, just because they have a day off. He he would would get lads around and talk to them and say, listen, you're not doing it, or we need to do this, or this isn't happening. And I think he was one of those under under Ferguson, and you can't without overstating it too much because at the same time when you when you read say Ryan Giggs' autobiography, he sort of or even Gary Neville's. Like considering that class, class ninety two came through, like even the Neville's, I was expecting maybe a bit of info, kind of what was what was McClare like or what was he, but like they don't really kind of name check him as someone who, kind of say they always have to talk about Cantona, but I think he just without maybe even without them realizing just those standards that would have been set, because like that's what that's what he did. Like there's no way he's hanging around there, and as you say as well, like, like just that reliability in football. It's almost sometimes maybe. Like being fit, there's a lot to be said for being fit. Like there's no use in a good player who's always injured. There really isn't. Whereas if you need, if you need, especially for a squad player and a player who's going to be, who who you need to rely on, you need a fellow who's going to be available. And as much as I, I suppose that's what McLaren brought. This is going to sound like a really weird comparison, but is he like 
a more forwardly mobile James Milner, basically. Yeah, well, I was I was actually thinking John O'Shea in terms of longevity at, at Man United, but yeah, I, I can de- I can definitely see your point, Steve. But I, I'm actually I was actually surprised by how many games he did play. Um, you know, I'd be probably similar age to David, so my memories I remember us winning the you know the inaugural Premier Premier League in in '92 '93, and then you know the preceding years. But I would have always kind of thought of of McClare as being kind of a you know bit part kind of rotated player if you will but like he played all 42 games in 92-93 he played 40 league games up as far as 94-95 so it was only really in his last three years that he started Mm. down around the 20s 19 games 13 games but I, I, th- I think he was actually more involved than we're giving him credit for in a way, you know? Well, I think, well he, scored, he, scored, he scored the winner. He was man of the match. And, well, certain people now probably won't. But like, there used to be a time when the League, the league Cup was actually a major trophy and was seen as a major trophy. And, like, man of the match and scored the winning goal in the final in 92 against Forrest, you know? And that's at a time when, I don't know, Forrest may be on the way. But, like... It'd be moments he scored in the cup. Was it cup in the, the cup in the yeah, uh, super cup against West Star as well? So like, yeah. like I don't know. Like, I suppose oh, to be honest, some fans who just kind of remember him for like baiting the show you of uh, Nigel Winterborn and that pitch man because he's the one who started that brawl. Probably you remember that remember that famous brawl at, at Old Trafford when like yes. was in the ball and Winterborn and, and then yeah and so McClare obviously was the one who was the one who was booting him. But yeah, like he's just one of them where it's almost like maybe in twenty years time. People will be just the podcast, I'm sure will be talking about John O'Shea and maybe not realizing. But then, when you actually maybe you had to live through those moments and be there for those moments, that that's when you realize why he would be so revered because he just at a time as well. Like he wasn't just involved in a team that was successful straight away and was just part of a, an absolute machine. Like he he kind of he bided his time a little bit. He kind of earned that in terms of those first few years where he kind of did help United gradually turn the corner and and get to where to get to where to where he eventually were which was which was champions and played a major played a major role in that you know major role won the Sir Matt Busby twice in, in 88 and 92 and I always think winning that award is is a real kind of tribute to a player's importance to a team and in a club because that's from inside the club you know what I mean mm. you know maybe not all but the bigger the biggest stars don't always win that award but it's a testament to his impact and I'd say his most prized trophy is is the Alan Hardiker trophy he won for his performance in the 1992 World Cup. I actually didn't even know that was a thing until I saw his Wikipedia page, to be honest with you. Phil, <laughs> Phil Foden is the current holder, if if uh, if you're interested. Right, maybe we'll go back to the greatest winners of the, the Alan Hardiker um, <laughs> <laughs> trophy. Um yeah, but uh, he also won the, the European bronze boot, which I didn't know they get, went beyond the golden boot, but yeah, uh, in uh, 87 when he was at Celtic. But uh, I was I was looking back at some uh, old clips of FA Cup finals for something else I was working on. And one, one of the matches that came up was obviously the 1990 final between Man United and Crystal Palace. And the, and the first game, which you know, was just chaotic, it, it ended 3-3. And, and he actually set up the, the first goal or United's first goal for uh, Brian Robson to head home. And uh, just reminded me, like, of how kind of creative he was. You know, he had forty nine assists, assists in his career. So, and again, this would have been uh, Mark Hughes was back at this point, wasn't he, David? Nineteen ninety. Yeah, he was a come back for another spell. Yeah, because obviously he'd been yeah. he'd been away. Yeah. So he was pushed out a little bit, and and was still like very useful. And I think that obviously that that kind of creative sense 
you know, also helped him later on. I mean, he played at United up until 1998, which I did not realize. I thought he was well gone by then, but he's there to like See, the memory. The memory plays tricks. Exactly. I mean, like he literally he left and United won the treble the next year, which just doesn't that it, like time. Time plays tricks, definitely. Like it's a, it's some sort of vortex, I think, that he fell into. But uh, yeah, so obviously, I think that helped kind of his mm. development and his uh, evolution over the years but he definitely was like you know a creative force might be going too far but like you see actually like you know mark hughes coming back actually did not stop him from being a, a really good player for man united and he, he links up with them if you you know there's a, there's a 20 minute highlights clip sorry 27 minutes highlight clip on youtube of his every goal every assist and he links up with mark hughes quite a lot yeah well steve but, i don't think you can like you can undersell how talented a player has to be how multifunctional they have to be if, if you watch his youtube videos of his finish finishes like david said he is by all accounts an out and out striker like mark hughes couldn't have, well i suppose mark hughes is not a good example because he did it later in his career but you know that drive to score goals to be to be a finisher there's not that many out now finishers that can convert to be a central midfielder and like he wasn't like a central midfielder that just had, you know, a free role. He had to convert to playing in a midfield too, which is extremely difficult to do. So to say, you know, to say he was a creative force, I think is accurate. Uh, but to say more than that, that he was just an excellent all-round footballer, I think deserves, you know, to be mentioned even more because that is not an easy tra- transition to go from out and out. Oh, to- yeah. No, look, I'm not. I'm. I'm not trying to undersell him at all. I'm actually trying yeah, no, to say, just... you know, like he's. He, I mean, how many footballers can you say? Like you said, his goal totals up until '88 were outrageous, and then all of a sudden he has to become essentially some sort of, you know, kind of second striker or, or, um, you know, a creator. Essentially, I mean, that's. I mean, all the more credit to him. But yeah, yeah but like... even a, a second, a second striker. Steve, he he became a central midfielder. That, that's no, I know that was later on. But if you see with yeah. in the seasons, kind of after in the in the seasons after okay, Hughes comes yeah, back, he's definitely playing in a kind of almost like a two, maybe just off of Mark Hughes. It, it is a good point, but like even with it, you know what it is with McLaren. Like obviously, he would be famous well for United fans, obviously for the uh, like his, his diary that he would have done. And you hear players talk about him, and like read, and when you read about him, like and Gary Pallister just talks about just just how relaxed and cool he is. Like he could. He wouldn't be a rant or a rave, or you kind of had these visions of maybe well, certain Scots that kind of are a bit are a bit nuts. And obviously Ferguson famously had the was it the hairdryer is is kind of it's almost kind of just such a cliche now at that stage. But that's what it that's what he had. But whereas McClare, he just took things in his stride, you know, like kind of like he was so he was so in, kind of crucial in that four season, played so many games. But then you know you bring in Roy Keane because by that point he was dropping back. You know you bring in Roy Keane. And he kind of has to, he finds himself out of the team again because obviously Keane is the one coming in. But like Palace talks about that in his in his autobiography where he sort of saying like, he just, he wasn't phased by it, you know, he just sort of, he just kind of kept on working. Like he kind of, I think it was one of them where obviously football, it was his job and it was his profession and he gave everything to it. But like, I think this is someone who, like he's on, he's on Twitter now, like he's very deadpan. He's very kind of, I think he, you have to have a certain kind of humour to kind of, to kind of get him. But he just has his head. Yeah, he does actually have his head screwed on. There's a great, there's a great interview where he kind of says like people look at him and maybe think that he's moaning or he's a bit of a whinge. But there's always a rave going on in his head, <laughs> which I think is is actually hilarious. But like he says, there's always a party going on in his head. But on the outside, he just 
he wouldn't actually kind of be outwardly that kind of maybe that emotional. And like Palmer speaks about it in terms of Ferguson would know that you could challenge him with certain things because he had the ability to deal with it as a, as a footballer, but also the head for it as well. And I think that's that's why he lasted so long. And obviously the injuries, he clearly looked after himself. You know, it wasn't by luck that maybe that he didn't that he had such a such a long career because if he wasn't someone who wasn't doing the right things, obviously Ben maybe the diet might not be in great. Obviously the the beer here and there, but I just think he he was someone who, as just by reading what his teammates said about him, just had had the temperament, which is as much as anything, to be a Manchester United player. He's such an interesting character, all in all, though. Like the fact he studied maths in in university, like which is the you know you don't ex, you don't expect a lot a lot of footballers, especially nineties footballers, to be studying maths at, at university university level. So, like I think that's why he's such a dead pan sense of humor. He's obviously a mm. seriously intelligent bloke, and you know his nickname Chucky because his name sounds like Eclair and. Like for a whole generation of Man United fans, they would have grown up with them, like Chucky's Diaries things as well. So, so like, yeah, such a, such a ma- massive impact on the club. And like, I think it's worth mentioning as well when you were saying about the assist. Now they weren't great assists, but he he's registered the assists for two of the most iconic goals in in Man United and, and Premier League history: the the Cantona chip against. Uh, Against and yeah, and the the David Beckham from the halfway line. Now both of them were like four yard passes, so like they're not like they're Kevin De Bruyne esque true balls or anything. But still, and like I have to confess, my idea to do the pod on him was because I was watching a rerun of Cantona's goals, and I said, "Oh, there's Brian McLare slipping it yeah. off for Cantona." Like, like, like I said, it was more to the point. Like I, I didn't even realize he was still at United at that point, and uh, he was there all along. I never even realized it, it reminds me actually those two assists it reminds me of like you ever see this video of Tom Carroll passing it to Bale like two yards away then Bale oh, scores I think it was like oh, yeah, yeah. this Tom Carroll fire assist <laughs> <laughs> but, but even you know even with say with McLaren and it's worth actually having a little Google of it because I remember because obviously I remember obviously Chucky's diary I'm trying to remember some of the stories because he even talks about kind of sometimes he just make up stories like Ferguson used to give out to him about it because like sometimes he just throws stuff in like this is obviously the day even before Ferguson would, would know what was going in the club magazine but like McClare with the lads would come to him you remember saying like oh, Gary Neville would come to him and start feeding him stuff about Phil and then Phil would come to him and start feeding him stuff about Gary but then McClare would just make stuff up about the both of them but like he just seems like go crack obviously mad into his music there's loads of people there about, about talking about his music but Saying about how smart, how smart he is. Like he did an interview, one of those. Remember those interviews, like with kind of like Shoot Magazine and stuff. And he was asked, like, think about it for kids now. And he was like asked, like the team he supported as a boy. And he goes the Lichten, the Lichtenstein International side. And he was asked about that. He goes, why did you, why did you say that? And he goes, ah, I wanted to say because Lichtenstein didn't actually have a team back then because it wasn't, it wasn't. <laughs> and he's just like, you wonder how it was actually. He talked about having a rave in his head. You wonder how it was his rave works because it's like. It's worth googling if you just google like Brian McLaren shoot magazine and then go through some, some of the first things that comes up with some of the Q and A's like and like somebody answers like it's gas like one of the questions one of the questions is like if you are competing in mastermind what would your specialist subject be and he goes children's television programs <laughs> and like it's just I think he's a, a Celtic player at the time but it's just like pretty funny and it was just like like some of the stuff like what subject did you hate most at school and why and he goes English I had no imagination so. He just strikes me as, and even when you see some of the stuff on Twitter, he just strikes me as a, as a sort of fellow you would want to go and have a point with. Now, a lot of it could end up going over your head, but I say he's good crack as well, you know? 
Yeah, oh, most definitely. I mean, his his uh, list of honors is actually ridiculous. Like he's, you know, and especially obviously he was at United at a, a spectacularly successful time, and he won four Premier Leagues, the FA Cup twice, League Cup, European Cup winners' cup, and that's on top of the Scottish Premier Division and Scottish Cup that he won. Uh, before jo- joining United and then a bunch of individual awards as well and I, I honestly I can't think of a player with so much success who is is so unheralded Peter we've spoken in the past about United players who crossed over from the 80s into the 90s and maybe don't get the recognition they deserve does does McClare fall into that category yeah 100% I think in general terms th- there's a whole generation that kind of came from the, the first division into the Premier League. So they're neither kind of old first division players or, you know, Premier League players t- to a lot of us from a certain age group anyway. But I think uh, we talked about this with Paul Ince. You can talk about it with Kanchelskis when we did him. The, the, the problem with so many of them players is United just kept on going on and winning things for so long. If United had stopped winning sit- stuff around 95, 96, and there had been a big gap for 15 years till they start winning again, everyone would fawn over them. You know, that point, team, yeah. the team that won the kind of first three or four Premier Leagues. Um, well, when you win 13 leagues in 20 years, it, it, it's, you know, it all becomes a bit kind of meshed together in many ways. Yeah. And it's because even, even, <laughs> even at the time, like when he had his testimonial, he spoke about the fact that when he woke up on the day of the testimonial, he was delighted that the, the weather was good because he was thinking, right, there'd be more people there. And he was like, more people will actually bother to turn up. There were no testimonials, some people can give or take them. But back then, like what it was around 98, back then it would have still been a, a big thing, even though I suppose United were coming off the back of a bad season, having lost the lead to Arsenal. But I don't know, I just sort of think, even him saying, like, and then coming out with his son, he had his youngest son, Liam, come out with him and... He kind of looked around and he was just like, he mentioned having like that sense of relief that there was so many people there, you know, and that it wasn't one of those where, where only a few thousand. In fact, obviously, he played Celtic, would have helped too as well. But I think there was, he probably maybe felt as well, even at the time, that because obviously by that point, he was more of a bit better player in the last two, in the last couple of seasons. Like he wasn't playing every, he wouldn't have been playing and getting into, say, 20, even 20, he played 19 and 13 games respectively in his last two seasons. So, by that point, he was kind of winding down. He was just one of those players who was kind of a bit more of a, again, just kind of there to show what the standards are in terms of professionalism, you know. And but yeah, so I just it's just, I I found it interesting this in that interview even at the time that maybe he felt that maybe he wasn't sure if he'd actually be as revered as other as other players. But I'm sure he's a hero to a lot a lot a lot of United fans of it of a, of a slightly older vintage than ourselves too, you know. He should be anyway. Um, but uh, David also is his Scotland career though is is definitely in contrast to his club career because he only won thirty caps and scored two goals, which came right at the end of his international career. Uh, what was what was the story there? Uh, was there some uh, kind of Ferguson shenanigans that we've heard with other players over the years? Yeah, I think that was I think that was one element because obviously even with <laughs> like Ferguson would even do it with Scotland where kind of, again, there's this great book, I'll give it another plug because it's actually, it's well worth checking out, it's like The Boss by Michael Crick, it's like the many sides of Alex Ferguson, and it kind of gives details into what Ferguson was like, obviously, even around that time as well, in in the 90s, and like Ferguson would actually, literally, would draw up a list a week before international games, and give it to, say, the physios, and say, right, these players have to be brought in and, and, and be getting treated, and McClare would a lot of time be on it, and he Ferguson pulled McClare 
out of a squad. I think he, this was even earlier on. Early, this because Gordon Strachan was still there. It was for a friendly game that that Scotland were playing, and he pulled him out of it to put him play him in a friendly for United against AC Milan because he arranged this game. Now, I don't know if it was purely down to that because again he just he was in he was in plenty of squads and he just didn't get the caps at the time as well. Like Scotland had Ali McCoy's too, and there was he was there at Rangers and. Back then as well, the Scottish League kind of just politics. And there's politics sometimes involved too, especially when Rangers were going were going so well. But Ferguson would do it. Ferguson just would like, especially if they lost the game, he'd actually extend that list. Or if if if, if they're in a good mood, he he'd say the lads, right, you can go. But he would he, he would had no problem even pulling McLaren out of squads for Scotland because he didn't want he didn't want them to go. And whether or not that's a hundred percent the reason, sometimes it's just a lack of form. You, you read some of the stuff that McLaren talks about. He just sort of says, ah, these things happen. That typical thing is, it, it is what it is. That kind of famous saying in football. But sometimes that could just be the reason why. Like you know, it's maybe just wasn't the same. Wasn't the same. Obviously, Scotland at the time wouldn't have been at the same level as what United were were at. So, but yeah, I just think it was gas. Even even with Scotland, and um, for an experienced player, not someone who was a young lad, for someone like McLaren, that Ferguson had no problem pulling them out squads. Uh, but he was still involved with United even uh, after he retired, Peter. Which I suppose says something about about him on top of his playing ability. He'd a bit of a spell as Brian, as Brian Kidd's assistant at, at Blackburn. That ended disastrously, as we all know. But Fergie brought him back to United um, in the early 2000s as a reserve team coach and a, and a youth team coach. And I think it just shows his intelligence, how much Fergie trusted him. And it kinda, it's kind of funny, I always think, he was Fergie's first ever signing and eventually Fergie makes him the director of the youth academy at United and he was the director of the youth academy for nine years so like such a massive impact on on Man United you know you think even a lot of the young players that would have came through and in that decade he was doing the job he would have been instrumental behind the scenes so like yeah very much a you know, a Man United man true and true in terms of his playing career and then the role he played behind the scenes as well. Yep, well, uh, that's uh, the career of Brian Chucky McClare there, the latest inductee into the 90s Football Hall of Fame. Up next, we've got a quiz. This quiz is brought to you by Football Index. To get a £20 bonus when you sign up for a new account, use the offer code FF20. Now lads, 90s football quiz. I've got six questions. You know the rules. I'll ask the question. You say your name to buzz in and you've got 10 seconds to answer. So are we ready to go? Yep, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, David, you've... Uh, I mean, did, did, have you won a quiz yet on here? Wait, listen. It's a process. It's gradual. It's, a process, it's, about, yeah. it's about learnings and work-ons. That's right, yeah. So it's, we're, we're not worried about results just yet, but you know... No. Well, we want to see a good. I'll, I'll probably get relegated now with this toward defeat or <laughs> Right, we want to see a good performance out of you. Right. No worries. Question one: In two seasons at Leeds United, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank scored thirty-five times in seventy-four appearances. From which club was he signed? David. Oh, David, go ahead. I'd have to go Madrid. Oh, David. No. No. Peter, what was the answer? Boa Vista. The answer is Boa Vista. Ah! <laughs> so it's 1-0, Peter. Going into the second question. And this is multiple choice. 
I should add. The Republic of Ireland finished third place at the Under-20 World Cup in 1997. Where was the tournament held? Peter. Peter, go ahead. Indonesia. Indonesia is the incorrect answer. I'll read out the options. Mexico, Nigeria... Or Malaysia oh, oh. is the correct answer. It's the correct yeah. answer. I won't let you. Or should, should, should get an extra point for being cocky and throwing in before I even hear the tour that oh, the tour yeah. uh, the Malaysian marvels. The Malaysian marvels. That's who they were, yeah. And do you know what? Just as as sorry about this, but as an aside to that, you know what? The FAI never even formally acknowledged the anniversary for that because the twentieth anniversary of that was recently, and yeah, the FAI didn't actually properly formally acknowledge that with an event for the for the last considering they were just which is incredible. Like. That's not, but wasn't there some sort of get together? Yeah, that was arranged with Brian Kerr. Brian yeah, Kerr yeah. Arranged, Brian Kerr arranged that himself in town. And I was, I was actually this up in town. No, no, it wasn't. In fairness, it wasn't. I was there. It was a big. It was a big. Yeah, no, it was a big. It was a big thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was yeah, loads of people no, there. Yeah. Yeah, and the soccer lawyers. I think it was the year later, kind of just after the January after that, had group and all on stage together. Yeah, but the FAO, maybe it was because Brian Kerr was involved and. Obviously, the former leadership of the FAI wouldn't have been too fond of them. But sorry, I'm getting distracted from the quiz, but that's just a little no, no. tidbit. We welcome the trivia. Absolutely. <laughs> no worries. Okay, question three. Sorry. Back on track. Can you remember who captained Ajax to their 1995 Champions League final win over AC Milan? Go ahead, Peter. Danny Blind. Danny Blind is the correct answer. And that makes it 2-1 to Peter. Oh, it's squeaky bum time now. Question four. Bulgaria eliminated defending champions Germany to reach the semi-finals at USA 94. Which other former World Cup winning nation did they also defeat en route to the last four? Was it Brazil, Italy or Argentina? Peter. Go ahead, Peter. Argentina. Argentina is the correct answer and it's 3-1 to Peter. David, you've, oh, you, know, you, you quick start again. You, you shoot your load in the first go and then you're... Like Steve, Brazil, Brazil and Italy in the final. It's an easy one. Next question. This is, this is going well. Look, there's still there's still time left, uh, David. How many you know, questions are left? How many questions left? I've got uh, th- uh, three questions here. So I mean, you know, so it's, it's probably going to just end up more, embar- more embarrassing, to be honest. Yeah, well, <laughs> look, I'll do a, you know, like in kids football, you know, if it gets if the score gets too embarrassing, we'll just uh, <laughs> load we'll up. Just call it today, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next one. Right. Next one, winner. Question. Question five. In what year did Sampdoria win their first and only Serie A title? Was it 91, 92, or 93? Peter. David. Peter, go ahead. I'm going to go... I'm going to go with 1993. David, is he correct? I'm not going to lie. I was going to guess 92. I had it in my head it was 92. Is that your answer? My, it's my, my answer is 92, yeah, but I'm, uh, that's what I had in my head. Unfortunately, you're both incorrect. <sighs> It was 1991, because if you'll remember, actually, Sampdoria reached the European Cup final in 1992. I must have had that in my head. Oh, ah, Janie. <laughs> well, on to the next one. Still 3-1, Peter. The 1999 World Cup final set a record for an attendance at a women's sporting event. How many spectators were at the Rose Bowl to witness the USA's penalty shootout win against China? Was it 50,000, 70,000 or 90,000? David. Go ahead, David. 70. David, that's the incorrect answer. Peter, do you yeah, have Yeah, I'd go high. I'd say 90. You'd probably get no. more spectators for a women's game over there than you would a men's, wouldn't you? It was, in fact, uh, 90,000. Yeah, well, I suppose USA in a world final. Always going to attract a crowd. And, uh, yeah, 90,000. Unbelievable crowd. Yeah. 
I'm going to ask this last question anyway, David, so you can put some respectability on the scoreboard, all right? <laughs> Go on, yeah. yeah I think, yeah, I think you're, giving me, you're giving me too much credit there. We think I'm going to be able to make this any more respectable, but however. All right, you might be able to get this, right? Who was the only Man United player named in England's squad for Euro 92? Was it Gary Pallister, Neil Webb or Paul Parker? David. Go on, David. Pallister. Had to be. You got, you got player of the year. He was player of the year that year. Pallister wasn't even an option, was he? Pallister, yeah, it was Pallister, Webb, or Parker. Peter, what, do you have an answer? I'll go Neil Webb. Neil Webb is the correct answer. Ah, jeez. Neil Webb was banned, Jacks, by then. <laughs> was Pallister? But Pallister was... Was, was Pallister... What year did Pallister get player of the year? 91, 92, wasn't it? Yeah. That's probably why... That's probably well. Graham Taylor got wrestling, but Jesus, that's probably why he, um. he was muck. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. <laughs> there you go. Gary has I'm just, just double checking to check the squad, right? No, Neil you're probably right. No, no, yeah, no. Neil Webb, number 15. <laughs> there you go. The only Man United player. That's unbelievable. But Webb, even at that point, Webb, I think Webb's career was on the way at that point because of injury, wasn't he? He was always, he was. Tossed his place to Brian McClare. Didn't even, did he? God, I'd assume he so. Could have been the Yeah, well, think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, okay. That's interesting. Webb, right. If you got it wrong, David, okay? There's no point in arguing. Just... Ah, yeah, no, 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 I wasn't arguing. I wasn't arguing about the question. <laughs> I genuinely wasn't, but it was just... Because I, I definitely had it in my head that Pallister was player of the year, and I just assumed, but whoever. Actually, there's a rave going on in your head. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. You won't laugh, you cry. That's the end of this episode. If you enjoyed our show, then please take a moment to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're at footyfaithful underscore. And head to thefootballfaithful.com for more football content. Uh, David, are you looking forward to League of Ireland coming back? I am, yeah. Looking forward to it. hopefully getting to uh, some games, although I'm going to miss the first weekend because of a family holiday with Jet. Looking forward to the games, can't we? Thanks a million for joining us today. No worries. Thanks for having me, lads. All the best. And thank you, Peter. Cheers, lads. Thank you very much. No worries. Take care. Your name, please. Brian McClare. Your occupation? Professional footballer. And your specialist subject is? The City of Manchester. Brian, you have two minutes to answer the following questions, starting now. In which imaginary district is Coronation Street set? Weatherfield. Correct. Complete this Manchester Five piece. Williams, Owen, Barlow, Donald and? Orange. Jason Orange, you take that. What was Sir Matt Busby Way formerly called? Warwick Road. Correct. Which Scott played up front for United in the early 80s? Joe Jordan? No, I said Scott, not Joe. Scott McGarvey. Since you've been at Old Trafford, how many managers have Manchester City had? Six, nine or twelve? Nine. Correct. Pete Shelley was the lead singer with which legendary Manchester band? Boscocks. Correct. Which river runs through Manchester? The Irwell. Correct. What was Manchester United's former name? Newton Heath. Correct. Which former Reds keeper did you score your first goal for United against? Tony Colton. Correct. Playing for Watford. Which nightclub was part-owned by the group New Order? Pass. Before you, who was the last player to be transferred from Celtic to Manchester United? Lou McCarry. Correct. Which former resident Mancunian contributed to the Communist Manifesto? Pass. Where is the best place to buy mint cake in Manchester? Kendall's. Of course. <laughs> Name Manchester's Super League ice hockey team. 
Storm. Correct. From which part of Manchester do Oasis originate from? Bondage. Correct. Which Manchester University is named after Gary Birtles? <laughs> Pass. Who did Alex Ferguson sign in the same month as yourself in July 1987? Vivian Alexander Anderson. Correct. Which American female singer was number one in the singles chart the day you signed for United? Pass. What is the cream of Manchester? <laughs> is that not advertised? <laughs> so very fine eel. I've asked the question, so you've got to answer it in what the two minutes, Sarah. Correct. Brian, the questions you passed on, most notably, which Manchester University is named after Gary Bertels? You missed. <laughs> which former <laughs> resident Mancunian contributed to the Communist Manifesto was Frederick Engels? Which nightclub was part owned by New Order? You must have been there, the Hacienda. Brian McClare, you scored 14 points. <laughs>